Thank you, Randy. You know, a few weeks ago we talked about uh, about wanting those Red Sea experiences in our lives and and what we have to do to sometimes get there. And we looked at the life of Moses and what what God had to do in the life of Moses to bring him to the point where he could have those Red Sea experiences. And, and today we're going to see something very similar to that. And we're going to look at, at actually the the obstacles that, it, that come in our way between, between where we are now and those kinds of victories. And so as we look at the heroes of the faith, today we're going to be looking at Joshua and Rahab. Um, the, these two great heroes of the faith are mentioned together for a couple of reasons. First, uh, because uh, they, came, they come from the same historical context. Uh, they come out of the same exact story, really. And if you know the words of the song that, that we just heard on the piano, the story is about Joshua and the, the walls of Jericho and the, how the, the Lord brought down the walls of Jericho. So they come out of the same exact historical context. The second reason, though, that I think these two are mentioned together is because the, the, two, the two people in this story together teach us one important lesson. And today we'll learn about those two greatest obstacles to spiritual victory and how to overcome them by looking at these two. So without any further ado, let's look at Hebrews chapter 11. So if you could turn there with me to uh, chapter 11 of Hebrews, we'll read verses 30 and 31. <coughs> this is what we read, number, uh, verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. And by faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe, when she had received the spies with peace. So when we look at this, we find two different heroes, right? Our first hero in verse 30, our second hero in verse 31. And uh, so if we look uh, back at verse 30, we read, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Who is actually the hero in this story? Because the, the hero isn't mentioned by name. This is one of the few heroes and it, that isn't mentioned by name uh, in here. But the context tells us enough to know who, who the hero was. And in reality, if we, if we look at that, we'd find that the hero isn't just one person, is it? By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. By whose faith did the walls of Jericho fall? And it was really the entire generation of Joshua. And, you know, to give a little historical context here, to make sure we understand what's going on, we've got to go back to and learn a little geography. Is that okay today? So we have, we have the Middle East here, and, and uh, you'll see where it says Egypt there, and you see all of that, that green area there, that's, that's where Egypt is, and then you follow that green line down, that's where the, the Nile River is, and so you have a lot of greenery around that. And if you go back to the, pri- the previous generation, the generation of Moses, they were in Egypt as what? As slaves. So they were there as, as slaves, no spiritual victory really in a sense, it's it's in total slavery. And, uh, and through that process, uh, we, we find the ten plagues. Moses comes and he, he brings the ten plagues against the people of Egypt. And, and you know the story. And, and uh, we, we see God prove himself in a miraculous way after the ten plagues. They exit Egypt in a miraculous way. And they cross the Red Sea, right? So they, they cross the Red Sea in this great miraculous way. And this becomes, actually changes the calendars uh, for, for the Israelites at this point. Just like we changed our calendars based on, on what Jesus Christ did. They changed their calendar based on this. And so during that process, they, they worked their way up just shy of the promised land. I don't know how well you can see. There's a little lake up at the top called, uh, the, 
the Sea of Galilee, and then there's a little a long lake right there, the, the Dead Sea. They were just shy of there in a place called Kadesh Barnea, and they sent 12 spies. Remember the story? And so 12 spies went into the land, and, and you might remember, out of those who said, hey, let's go into the land, let's go out of the land, they're out of 12, how many of them said, no way, no how? Anyone remember? 10, exactly. 10 of them said, no way, we can't do it. The enemies of God are too big. Now think about that for a moment. They just saw God show his power all over, over all of the Egyptian gods. They just crossed the Red Sea on dry ground, and yet they were afraid of giants. Right? So they, that's, that's where, where they were. And then, of course, two were good. And so they're, they're, because of this lack of faith, God said, I am going to teach the next generation. I'm going to teach them about having faith in God. So for 40 years, they, they wandered in the desert. Now, God was still faithful to them. He provided for them. For 40 years, they wandered all around the desert. And for 40 years, God was teaching them his faithfulness. And Sihon tried to take him over. And God defeated him. Ah, they did the same thing. God defeated him. God showed his faithfulness to them. And so, so what happens is we find that one entire generation dies. In fact, if you read the book of Numbers, you read two census. Or sensi, if that's right. Censuses. That just doesn't sound right. But you find a census at the beginning, and you find a census at the end. Uh, and you, what do you, the reason you have that is to show that all of those who were adults at the moment of the, of the spy, the first spy account, all of those adults died in the desert. Not a single person was left over in the second census because it was only the next generation. Of course, there were two exceptions to that. And who were they? The two spies, Joshua and Caleb, whose lives God, God supernaturally sustained them so they did not age for those 40 years so that they could enter the land as young as they were in the day that they spied out the land. What, a, what an amazing way to see, to see this. So 40 years later comes, and, uh, and now they're, they're getting ready to cross the Red Sea. But now we have, or not the Red Sea, but the Jordan River. We have a brand new generation. We have this generation of Joshua, we'll call it, um, where uh, the, the baton has been passed from Moses to Joshua. And just as God revealed himself in a miraculous way with him crossing the Red Sea... God reveals himself to Joshua in a miraculous way. How? By crossing the Jordan River. And he does it in such a miraculous way that the floods go all the way back from, from, from the, uh, the Dead Sea all the way up to the Sea of Galilee, to the, to the city of Adam, was, was overflowed with water because God just stopped the waters. They crossed on dry land. And so for all of those, those adults who were, used to be kids, and remember this with Moses, what's going on in their minds? This is the same God, same power, and he has shown us faithfulness for these 40 years. We can do this. And so now we have this generation of faith. And in Hebrews 11, God, through the writer of Hebrews, is lifting up this entire generation saying, this is an example of faith. These people were heroes of the faith. But to go back to the story and understand the context of what's going on, at this point, they have crossed the Jordan River, and they're about to take their first city. And you remember what, what the first city was? What were we just saying about it? Or just heard about it? Jericho, right? Jericho. And so they're, they're ready to take Jericho, but Jericho is not just any city. This is the military outpost, right? So this is the, this is the, the first city. So... Uh, so that they could protect themselves from any of the Moabites or any of the people in Moab. So you've got, the, you've got this, this very strong, uh, towering city. And that's the historical context. 
So, so, so since the writer of Hebrews praises them for this faith, I think we should look at that faith. And what kind of faith was it? And what we find is that there was faith because God gave them some very interesting directions when it comes to taking over Jericho. Right? In fact, if you, if you keep a finger in Hebrews, because we'll come back to Hebrews, but if you also uh, follow me to Joshua chapter 6. So uh, it's the sixth book of the Bible, so right after Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, you'll find the book of Joshua chapter 6. <clears throat> and we'll read verses 1 through 5. It says, now Jericho, <clears throat> excuse me, now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. By the way, that makes sense, doesn't it? Imagine, because Jericho is in sight of the Jordan River. You can, from the top, you can see the Jordan River from there. Uh, we've been there. We saw it. And, and, and so they saw somewhere between one and one and a half million people cross onto their side of the river. So what did they do? They shut all the doors up. They, they, they don't let anyone in. They don't let anyone out. Verse 2, And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. Verse 3, You shall march around the city, all you men of war, and you shall go around the city once. This you shall do six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of, the ram, of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And it shall come to pass... When they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall uh, shout with a great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, every man straight before him. And to this, my, my natural response is to say, what? Anyone else get the same response? You read that and you say, you're, you're telling them to do what? Really? This is your plan? Right, Lord? Uh, this is your strategy because it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. None at all. From my human understanding, it makes no sense whatsoever. Now, I'm a strategic guy. That's just, that's my nature. I, I'm, uh, you know, that's why I surround myself with directional leaders, operational leaders, relational leaders, because I'm a strategic leader. That's, that's my, my, na- my nature. And so when there's a problem, I immediately start thinking, well, how do I work my way around this? How do, I, how do we solve this problem? Uh, I, I actually enjoy that sometimes. So that's why I create problems. Um, so if anyone's wondering why, it's just because I like to solve those. Uh, but it, it's, it's, I look at this and I see, I see all sorts of problems with this strategy. Don't you? I, I mean, I jotted down a couple of them. First of all, um, choosing Jericho as your first city is a bad choice, right? Uh, I mean... Why, why not take on Ai, you know, this little place, right? So then at least you can have a city that when Jericho comes to protect Ai, then you have a city from which you can defend yourself, as opposed to being shepherds who have been living a Bedouin lifestyle in the desert for 40 years, coming in and, and going to battle against these tall walls. It just doesn't make sense to me. To go straight to the military outpost doesn't make sense. Um, also, just going to the military outpost... Uh, and, and the idea of marching around the city for seven days. Think about that. You're, you're marching around the city. When you're walking around those walls, they're up on the walls. And you're down here in the most vulnerable position that you can be in. Right? And you're marching around. And you're not allowed to talk. If you read all of the directions, they weren't allowed to talk. So what are you guys doing now? You don't say anything. You don't taunt them. You, don't do, you just march around. And I'm thinking, that just does not seem like a wise military strategy. 
Am I the only one thinking this or anyone else kind of with me? You know, you look at that and also there's no logical connection between marching around a city and falling walls. He just says, you're marching around, the walls are going to fall. There's no logical connection there. And, and it's funny to watch like Discovery Channel and National Geographic and watch some of their shows because there's no debate that the walls fell. No one debates that. Everyone knows that the walls fell. Uh, archaeologically, it's, there's just too much proof there. You know that the walls fell. But then they start, well, maybe, maybe when, they, when they were walking around and caused the right vibration and caused an earthquake or something. I mean, it's, it's hilarious. I'm just, I'm just not gullible enough to believe what they come up with. And, and, and they come up, or maybe the trumpet sounds, maybe they blew it at just the right frequency that it caused the walls to, you know, right. Let's see them re- reproduce that in a lab, right? And it doesn't, it doesn't work. And so you, it's, it's hilarious to see all these things that people come up with, and, but I don't see any logical connection between marching around the walls and the walls falling down. I, I don't see it. And then lastly, I just have, have to mention one more this idea of getting a long blast before you go in. It's kind of like saying to your enemies, hey, we're about to attack. You ready for us? Because here we go. Three, two, one. That makes no sense from a military standpoint. Amen? All right. So that's, that's where I look at this. And, and, and you know what? But this brings us to the first of the two obstacles that we have uh, to spiritual victory. That first, that first obstacle is is you. Let me, let me explain that for a moment. The first, um, you are the first obstacle. Why? Because you think like a human being. By the way, I could put the word me in there as well. It, it, it's, it's me. It's, it's, it's getting over ourselves. Why? Because we look at the enemies and we think questions like, well, how can I defeat them? It's a wrong question. It's a wrong question to ask. We think, well, what, what can I do to put myself in, in a situation of the best advantage? Wrong question. Why? Because we think like humans. How can I defeat this giant? Wrong question. How can I, how can I, how can I, how, all those wrong questions. Uh, and, and it's certainly not, well, to get the best advantage. It's certainly not warning them that we're getting ready to come in or marching around the city. It, it's none of those things. Because we look at things from a human perspective. Now, before you beat yourselves up over it, how many of you in here are, are human? Okay. Every, everyone but Alan True. Okay, so, so, so most of us in here, we're, we're human, right? And so we do that. This is the way we look at things. But then if we were to get out of our humanness get, and step out of that for a moment and try and see things a little bit from God's perspective, think about this from God's perspective. How easy is it to defeat the people of Jericho? He created them. He sustains every atom in their body is being sustained by the power of God in every moment. He doesn't look at the people of Jericho and think, oh no, what am I going to do? That's not God. God doesn't do that. To him, defeating Jericho, that's the easy part. Instead, God's probably thinking something more along the lines of, how can I do this and make it interesting? Right? Right? How can I do this in a way that's going to help the Israelites learn a lesson, learn how to trust in me instead of trusting in their own understanding, right? How can I do this in such a way that the Israelites come out better than they were before? Because defeating the people of Jericho was never a major concern to God. 
that was an easy thing for him. And, we, and we, for, we forget that. But we, in our humanness, we get locked into all these things. If you've ever felt worried, if you've ever felt, felt anxious about something, if you've ever felt any of those emotions, which I think, if we're honest, we all have, then we have to admit it's because we're human and we start thinking of things from our perspective instead of thinking of things from God's perspective. Here's the point. Uh, the point is this. Fearing God... If you genuinely fear God, fearing God means learning to lean not on your own understanding. That's what fearing God is all about. It's learning to lean not on your own understanding. I I use the terminology straight from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You're, You're probably familiar with that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And what? Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways. Acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. This is exactly what was going on with the generation of Joshua. They were willing to say, Lord, you're giving us directions that make absolutely no sense. But we'll do it. You want us to walk around? Okay, we'll walk around. You want us to shout? We'll shout. You want us to blow a trumpet? We'll blow a trumpet. And God brought the walls down and gave them victory. Why? Because they learned to lean not on on their own understanding. In all their ways, they acknowledged him. Because if they were not acknowledging God, they would have all said, this is a a stupid plan, and we're not going to do it. And I would have been first one on the list to say, let's not do this. However, if God is in it, and we recognize that God is in it, if we acknowledge God in all of our ways, then he will direct our paths. And I'll tell you what, God does a much better job of directing my path than I ever did. Amen? And, and so that's what we have to learn. We have to, to learn to, to, uh, to not lean on our own understanding. So our application number one today, very simple message. There's only going to be two applications. But application number one is to, to get over yourself. Right? Don't, don't lean on your own understanding. Uh, in fact, look at what, the way Paul put it in Romans 12, verse 3. He says, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. It's our human nature to think too highly of ourselves, and and, and we see something that doesn't make sense, so we don't act on it. Why? Because we're putting our own understanding above the wisdom of God, and above the commands of God, and, and, and that's the reason why we're not experiencing spiritual victories in our lives. That's the reason why, why we're not crossing any Red Seas or slaying any giants or, or crossing the Jordan Rivers. Why? Because we haven't gotten over that first obstacle, which is ourselves. It's ourselves. Well, if we, if we look at that, we have, that's, our first, that's our first hero is the generation of Joshua. But we find in verse 31 the second hero. Let's read that. So by faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she received the spies with peace. You see, Rahab, Rahab was a, a person who didn't she, didn't, she didn't perish with those who did not believe, but there's a reason behind it. Uh, Rahab obviously didn't have too much problem with the first, the first obstacle. She didn't think of herself too highly. And in fact, she was a prostitute. In a military outpost. I mean, she knew her place in society, and she knew that it wasn't a very high place in society, but she accepted it. It was her living. 
Um, and, and so, so the first test for her wasn't really thinking too highly of herself. The first obstacle came for her when two strangers came knocking at her door. Uh, that's when things, things got interesting for her. If you still have a, a finger in Joshua, go back a couple chapters to Joshua chapter 2. We'll read verses 1 through 3. Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. We read this. Now, Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia, uh, from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. By the way, I, think, I find it very interesting just to, to throw out there. Um, when Moses sent spies, he spent ten, or he spent, he, he sent twelve spies. Ten were negative and two were good. Joshua just skipped the whole ten part. He just sent two spies. <laughs> I think there's probably some wisdom in that as well. So he sends these two spies. They they come to the to uh, uh, to Rahab's home, and uh, verse two we read this, and it was told. Uh, the king of Jericho saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So somehow, the idea that two strangers came in, they somehow got in the walls, that was, that was news that made it to the king of Jericho. Verse 3, So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, Bring out the men who, you, who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. This is an interesting... If you put yourself into her situation, she had a, a, a major choice to make here. And, and this was going to determine, really going to distinguish whether or not she had a trust or a fear of God or a fear of people. Uh, and so, you see, Rahab was not in the business of turning away strangers, right? That was, what, that was part of her occupation. And so naturally, she received the two spies. But now, the king of Jericho... Not just the king of, of the city, not just a, what we would consider a mayor, but the king of a military outpost, right? A, a, a very strong, powerful king. A king who had the right to take her life without any type of court case. Think about that. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that we don't have a situation in our country where someone has the right to, to do that without a court case. We have a right to a fair trial. Um, but they did, she did not have that. So her life was at stake if she didn't follow this king. And so she had a choice to make. Was she going to fear the king? Or was she going to fear, uh, fear the king who could order her death in an instant? Or was she going to fear this God whom she had never seen? But this God that she believed was real. And, and we find the answer to that in verses 4 through 7. Let's continue reading on verses 4 through 7. We read this. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they, where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut, when it was dark, that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them, she said. But she had brought them, brought them up onto the roof and hidden them with stalks of flax, which she had laid in, in, in order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the, to the fords. And as soon as those pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. When you look at this, it's very clear. She had this choice between fearing God or fearing, fearing the king. And she did not fear the king. Who did she fear? She feared God. She feared the Lord. And, and so instead of saying, because if you feared the king above all, what would the natural human thing, what would the natural human response be? 
Oh, you want to know where the spies are? And they're in my house right now? Yeah, I'll tell you where they are. They're upstairs hiding in the flax, right? You tell them where they are because then the king is going to spare your life, right? And, and, and so this, what she does instead, she hides them from the king. And there's a lot of arguments that get into, was, was this honest or not? Give her a break, right? She's a new believer. Right? See, so, uh, but you look at this, and, and the point that, that the writer of Hebrews makes isn't about her honesty. The point is all only about one thing and one thing only. Whom did she fear? And she feared God. She feared Yahweh. And she feared him. Why? Now, why did she fear? And I love this. Uh, it's, it's written out of chronological order to, to hold the suspense to, to answer the question why afterwards. But if we continue in, in, in chapter 2 of Joshua, verse, verse 8, uh, this is what we read. It says, Now, before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Think about that. I know that the Lord, the word here for Lord is Yahweh. She, so she's identifying that it's the Lord of the Israelites. Right? I know that the Lord has given you the land. And that the terror of you has fallen on us. And that all of the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. Hey, everyone was fearing. I mean, they, you, you watch someone cross the Jordan River on dry ground. Uh, you would fear too, Right? And, and she said, everyone was afraid. But that fear is that there are different kinds of fear. And we see how that the fear uh, that sometimes causes resistance, in the case of the Jericho shutting up their walls, in her case, caused a type of compliance as opposed to defiance. Verse 10. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water on the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og. Whom you utterly destroyed. Verse 11. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. That's important. Note that. Verse 12. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters in all that they have and deliver our lives from death. We look at this. Why did she fear the Lord? Why why did she fear the Lord? Well, we see several things. First of all, she had heard the stories of the Red Sea. And and maybe, and my my guess is that when, when she heard those stories, she probably thought of it as just that, a story. Right? And a lot of people, they grow up in church and they hear these, these stories and they think of them as just stories. right? Uh, and, but yet, she didn't realize that it was real. And then she heard stories about Sihon and Og. Now, wait a minute, that, that kind of touches home a little bit because she knew Sihon was a real king. She knew how Og was a real king. And they were utterly destroyed. I'm sure that put in her mind a thought that maybe... Maybe there's some truth to this idea that there's a God over Israel. And then what happens in the context here? She sees them cross the Jordan River and she says, Ah, now I know it. I I can't see this God. He's the invisible God. But I trust. I think he's real. Do you get the idea of what's going on in Rahab's heart? And so at this point she's saying, I don't care what the king says. I don't care if he can take my life. I want to side with the one who's going to win. I want to side with God. And the writer of Hebrews lifts this up and says, that's a model for faith. 
By the way, just to throw out there, notice it's not how much of a sinner she was or wasn't that made all the difference. It's where she put her faith. And I think sometimes as Christians, we, we categorize people as, well, Well, this person is just kind of down here and this person's up here. No. Every human being has, has the ability to reflect the image of God. Amen? And so here, it doesn't matter what her past was. In fact, she is never judged for her past in the rest of Scripture. In fact, everything the Scripture has to say about Rahab from that point on is positive. You know that? Why? Because it's not the depths of our sin. You've heard me say this a million times. You'll hear it a million more. It's not the depths of our sin that matters. It's the depths of God's mercy and grace that matters. And so we see that God taking this this imperfect, uh, deceitful uh, prostitute and turns her into a God-fearing woman. And that's literally what it says. She feared God. She's a God-fearing woman. So to throw that, why did she fear the Lord? Because she saw what he did in the Red Sea. She saw what he did to, to Sihon and Og. She saw what they did when they crossed the river. By the way, this is just like what we read a couple weeks ago about Moses. Remember what we read back in Hebrews eleven twenty-seven? By faith, Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, similar to, similar to Rahab. For what reason? For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Isn't that exactly what Rahab did? She, she ignored the, the, the direction of the king because she, she, she believed in the, in the existence of the invisible one. And that's exactly what we see in her life as well. And, uh, and so that, here's the point. Here's what it bring, brings to the second point of, uh, of the day. By, or, by fearing God, when we say, talk about fearing God, fearing God not only means getting over yourself, but fearing God means not fearing the strength of people. In other words, when we, when we compare God to people, then, then we, we don't, there should be no comparison. We don't fear people in the same way. Uh, Jesus himself talked about, don't fear men who can harm your body. Fear the one who can, who can, can condemn your soul, right? That's what Jesus said. So fearing God means fear, not fearing the strength of of people, and that's exactly what we find in the situation of of Rahab. We find that for her, she sided with God. Um, by the way, this is this is something I think is very important for us to understand in our culture right now. Uh, there is a fear of of man that is so ingrained in our culture that that we can't help but bow down to the to the gods of our of our culture, and they're always human gods. Uh, for, let me give an example. For an example. Um, Take the, the doctrine of evolution. It, I remember 10 years ago, 20 years ago, where I'm, I'm dating myself a little bit, but uh, maybe even 30 years ago, where, where there were arguments, and you would talk to people, and we, they would argue, and, and, and people would throw out evidence to support evolution, and then you could, you'd have to throw out evidence to show them that they're wrong. And there, there was a lot of, of, of debate going back and forth. Do you hear that anymore today? Absolutely, I, I, hear, I hear very little of that today. Why? Because today there's an underlying assumption. The only argument I ever hear anymore, and when I'm actually interacting with people uh, on this topic, the only argument I ever hear, it's the same argument. It's all of the experts say. So I have to agree with them. I, why, and what does that say? That says that somehow we have this 
this belief in, in, in the human race to such an extent that we believe that if someone dedicates their life to something solely to one thing and they become an expert or, or a specialist in some area, then there's no way they're going to get it wrong. And so when you have all these specialists and everyone comes together and they're telling you that we came from, from apes and that, that, that it's been a process of millions and millions of years where design came without a designer and yada, 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 that, that we should all take it. Why? Because they never mind believing in the facts or studying it out. But we live in a world where no one studies out the facts. It's they choose who they're going to believe, period. Does that make sense? And it's usually the majority. We fear the masses. And if the masses are saying one thing, then we better say the same thing. Uh, you know, and we find that in, in many, many different topics coming out today. You could say the same about, uh, about homosexuality. You could say the, the same about uh, all sorts of things, even political things. Uh, it's, you, you trust the experts. If the experts say that it's natural, then it's natural. If the experts say it's genetic, it's genetic. If the experts say... And in reality, um, people don't look at the facts. They only look at, well, what does the majority say? And we fear the masses. We fear what they say, the masses of people. And so we've talked about, the, uh, uh, about, about that, and we've, we've seen the, these obstacles. We've seen, uh, seen this take place. But let's look at the result here for Rahab, because she sided with God. She, she rejected what the masses would have done. She rejected what her king was telling her to do. And, and look how, look how the, res, the, the result came out for her. Verse 21 through 23 of Joshua chapter 6. It says, And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city. Context here. They, they, they did exactly as God said. Seven times they walked, or, or seven days, or six days, they walked around one time. Seventh day they walked around seven times. They, they blow the trumpets and the walls come down. They, they jump, run into the city. They utterly destroy everything that's in the city. Both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep, donkey, with the edge of the sword. But Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and from there bring out the woman and all that she has, as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they, so they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. Well, you look at that and, and you realize it worked out for her. Rahab got to experience the victory, the same type of victory that the Israelites uh, experienced. And, and how she asked for one thing, and that was for her family to be spared. And what happens? God made sure that her house was spared. In fact, when we were, when we were studying the book of Joshua... We, we, gave, we went through and looked at the archaeology and we saw how, how it's interesting. They say that the entire wall fell down. It must have been a massive force, but there was one part of the wall that had stayed up. You know? And they don't know how. And we look at that and we laugh because we said, we know exactly how. We don't know exactly what God did to make it happen, but we know how. We know that God kept his word. We sang about his faithfulness today. We see his faithfulness in reality. We see his faithfulness all through Old Testament history in New Testament history. Why on earth do we doubt it today? Why on earth do we fear people instead of fearing God? It doesn't make sense. And so that's what brings us to the second obstacle. The first one is is ourselves. We have to get over ourselves. Uh, The second one is the masses. It's people. It's it's learning to get over uh, over people. Really, the the application here for us, don't, you know, don't allow yourself to be so impressed by them. So we look at at that... uh, 
Um, let me, I went too far. Uh, don't, don't be so impressed by people. Uh, they're, they're just people. Have you, ever, have you ever been in the presence of someone that you considered a great person that you just felt like you were fumbling around, you, you almost didn't have the words to say? Have you ever felt that way? Uh, and, you know, about maybe you're, maybe you're in the presence of someone great. Or, or I remember uh, once getting a chance to go hear our president speak. This was, this was in times past, so I'm not, I'm not talking about... Well, I'm talking about Ronald Reagan, I'll just say it. And, and to me, even though I was a little kid, it was a big deal. You know? And I just couldn't believe I'm seeing the, the same guy that I saw on TV all the time, right? Like, wow. And, uh, and I just remember thinking that. And I was too young to even have political opinions, so, so don't take that as uh, I'm pushing one, one president over another. Just being in the presence of someone like that. Or why on earth do we fill up stadiums when you can watch these games on TV? People fill up the stadiums because they, they just want to go. They want to feel like they're in the presence of greatness, right? And I, you know, I could tell, one time I actually got to see Michael Jordan play against, the, against the, the Pistons. And as much as I love the Pistons, I still walked out of there saying, it was kind of cool to see someone score 59 points in a game, right? And uh, it, when we lost, and, uh, but I would have rather seen us win. But, I mean, it was, why? Because there's just something about us that we, we tend to fear fear people, and, and we've got to learn to get over that. The people are just people. The same is, is true in reverse. We, we, when we see people that, that maybe don't, don't, don't work their way up on the social status of our culture, we look, I look at them and say, they're people. Those are human beings. They reflect the image of God. And, and, and maybe, maybe they're going through a, a tough time and, and, and maybe, you know, they, they might be holding a will work for food sign or something. But we've got to, to recognize them as people. And, and so we've got to not be a, a respecter of persons is kind of the biblical terminology. We, we, we hold people as people. And we've got, to, we've got to get over that. And the moment we start fearing what everyone else says, the moment we're going to get off track. And when we get off track, God's not going to be able to give us all of these victories that he wants to give us. Does that make sense? We've got to get over ourselves. That means don't lean on our own understanding. Lean on God's commands. Don't lean on our own understanding. And we've got to learn to get over other people and, and not trust what the masses say. Just trust what God says. Trust what God says in his word. And when we do, when we do these things, God will do things in our lives that go way beyond what we would ever even think or imagine. And, and that's why I want to bring up uh, to close 1 Corinthians 2.9. But... It, as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. God has great things in store for us, but we have to be open and willing and able to accept those things. And to do that, we've got to get over ourselves. And we've got to get over the fear of other people as well. Two questions. Uh, uh, well, actually, before I ask the, the two questions... I want to just share a little bit of the context of what we're going to be studying in the next few weeks because we see how these things will play out. Uh, look at in, uh, in Hebrews 11. This is the kind of stuff we're going to be reading in the next couple of weeks. For, and what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the alien. 
you see God doing amazing, incredible things in the lives of people once they learn to do these two things. Get over themselves and no longer fear the masses. What about you? Two questions today, that's it. Number one, which way do you lean? Are you leaning on God's commands or are you leaning on your own understanding? And too many times, and I think, honestly, every time we sin, we find that we're leaning on our own thinking. Instead of leaning on God's commands. Which way are you leaning? And maybe today the Holy Spirit's going to work in your heart and say, and point out a sin in your life. And, and say, you know what? You've been leaning on your own understanding here instead of following my simple commands. And if that's you today, I'm going to give you an opportunity just to come forward and just pray that to the Lord. Just, just take it to the Lord. I'm not going to ask you what it is. No one needs to know what you're, what you're, what's going on in your heart. But I'm going to give you that opportunity. The second question is, do you fear God, or, or will you fear God, or will you fear men? That's the choice. You have the same choice as Rahab. You can follow what the world is telling us about everything, about morality, about salvation, about, about eterni- eternity, about the meaning. You can follow everything that the world says, or you can follow what God says. That's the choice. It boils down to that. And perhaps there's someone here today that, that has swallowed the... The, the whole line that the world has, has given you. And because of fear of man, because of fear of what everyone says and respecting what, what the masses say, you have not chosen to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Then today can be that day that you change your eternal destiny. Uh, today, or that God changes your eternal destiny. Today could be that day. If you're willing to just say, I'm, I'm going to reject what people say and I'm going to follow what God says. And, and we'll see. Just like Rahab, he'll do incredible things. He has an eternity in mind that goes beyond what our eye has seen, beyond what our ear can hear, beyond what our hearts can even imagine in store for us. And so I want to give you that opportunity today as well. Let's go to Lord in prayer, and then we're going to sing and give you an opportunity to respond. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the way it, it pierces us right where we need it. And Lord, I look at these verses, and I, I see myself, not in the heroes of the story, Lord, but I see myself sometimes as the people of Jericho. I see myself as, 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 as someone who doesn't fear you sometimes, and I fear other people. But, Lord, I, I pray that today many of my brothers and sisters in this room, together with me, would make that decision to fear you and not fear what people say, not worry about other people, and not even to lean on our own understanding. And so, Lord, I, we confess that to you right now, and I, I just pray that you would do a work in the hearts of many in this room right now that we would get right with you in these areas. And I pray this in Christ's name.